Your ears do not deceive you. You've just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. Hello there, listener. Jimmy and I are excited to celebrate the one-year anniversary of the Cryptid Creator Corner. Hard to believe it's already been a whole year already. We have some amazing things planned for year two. We're kicking year two off with a little thing we got going on with Global Comics. If you haven't heard of them yet, Global Comics is a digital comics publishing platform that enables comics creators and publishers to upload, publish, monetize, and translate their content to a global audience in multiple languages. Pretty cool, right? I'll be contributing regularly to their Friday feature segment that highlights and reviews some of the amazing projects there. Make sure to visit their website, and I'll see you there. Thanks so much for tuning in every week. We appreciate you. All right. This is Byron O'Neill, your host for today's episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner. Today, I'm sitting down with comics creator Emma Kubert. Emma is the co-creator, penciler, and colorist for Images Inkblot, has worked on DC's Superhero Girls and T-Tides Go, and has been working on Frank Miller Presents Pandora, the illustrator. Somehow, is also finding time to contribute her talents to Radiant Pink and is now applying that to a new ongoing fantasy adventure series from Image Comics called Stoneheart which we'll be learning a little bit more about today. Thanks for hanging out with me today on the show, Emma. Yeah, thanks for having me. (laughs) Well, for those who haven't heard anything about a series yet, give me just sort of the quick elevator pitch for it. Um, Stoneheart is about a young woman who's born with a sinister voice in her head, and she is basically relocated into a new city to start her new life. Um, and as she's starting her new life, she's really excited. She's really happy about it, but the voice starts to resurface and she starts to basically fall down this rabbit hole. That's eventually going to lead her to discover where she really comes from, who she really is and how to deal with all of it. (laughs) Which is a lot. Voices in your head are usually not great. No, no, you don't want that. No. Yeah, 100%. So, well, if I'm understanding this correctly, this is your first creator-owned project that is like 100% Emma flying solo. Is that right? Um, Well, it's my second, but it's my first uh, like Western comics um, creator-owned project. My first um, on my own creator-owned project was a web comic called Brushstroke for Tapas. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, that's very different from this, of course, like very different genres and characters and type of plot. And even just like the way that I had to create it was very different. But it helped me kind of get an idea of how to approach this project, because that's really what I kind of uh, see my projects as, as like learning tools for the next one. (laughs) Sure. And so, like, going through that whole process um, of my webcomic, it was really exciting. Um, It was really fun. But obviously, you know, it's a lot of work to put into to make your own thing. So going from that to Stoneheart, I was really figuring out, you know, like, what do I need? What can I leave behind? How can I make this the best that I possibly can make it? Well, after reading through the first issue, I gotta say, this made me happy and not like in the 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 happy I read it, but like genuinely sort of 
happy, right? I think one of the, the strengths of your character work is how expressive your artistic style is. And there's there's a lot of joy on your main character, uh, Shade's face. Yeah. So yeah, even seriously, even when they're going through kind of a difficult moment, there's there's an overwhelming positivity that's like latent to it. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I was reading, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, go, go, go. <laughs> saying, well, I was reading this recent quote, which said, you said, I began this series simply as a catharsis to kind of help me deal with the many worldly problems my generation is facing today, but it slowly culminated into a confrontation of my inner monologue. So that sounds a little more ominous than <laughs> kind of what I was getting at. So, so how are you kind of inwardly working through kind of expressing yourself? In them? Well, for me, it really goes with the main character, Shade Whisper. I mean, like, even looking at my face now, you could see that she is me. She is based off of myself and me basically working through my problems. And I would say, all in all, I am a very happy, positive person when you meet me, when you know me, like when you basically on a friend level, acquaintance level, you know me as a very positive, happy, excitable hopeful person and that's how I know myself too but you know beyond that kind of exterior you get into the inner workings of you know how how you actually are inside your own mind and that can be very different than the outwardly appearance that you can put off you know Mm -hmm. so this really culminated into um Something that I realized that I felt like a lot of people go through this is that they're pegged as one person, like they're known for being this kind of person, but they don't realize what is brewing under the surface. They don't realize what problems, you know, you actually go through as a person because we can't read each other's minds. So it was one of those kind of stories that really ended up uh, coming together through a lot of different themes and a lot of different things that I was working through in my life at that time. Now, Mm -hmm. at this time, it's a little bit different, but when I was creating Stoneheart, um, it was during the pandemic. So that was a huge part. Another part of it was I was just starting my comic career. Like I was really starting to get it off the ground and really push for, you know, all these different projects and working it. And I was also living with my parents. So that was another aspect that I think, again, a lot of people in my generation can really relate to that, that feeling of failure in that kind of aspect. but it's not even it's not even a failure because it's also how the world is right yeah. now and and that's that's the whole thing with stoneheart is that we're going from the inner monologue the inner workings but we're also looking at the entire world as a whole and how those two things affect one another and that was really the whole premise that i was going for when i was creating it was seeing you know, the the constant friction, but also the constant reaction from world to individual and seeing how that plays off of one another. Yeah, I, I think comics are changing a lot. I'm obviously a little older, probably closer to your dad than than you, <laughs> you know, 
Uh, how can you know kind of the the new generation of comics creators impact the world? Because okay, so there's a bit of a mental health element in, in yeah. this. Yes. You know, we're seeing titanic shifts in representation in the medium. Mm-hmm. Um, so back then, things had to be a little more covert, you know, yeah. with, with the messaging. So how are you seeing it, it different these days? And 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 what can the new generation do? Like, how can comics really impact things? I personally think that the newest generation has a sense of individuality that a lot of other generations don't embrace. And it's not to say that you don't embrace individuality, but it's more just growing up in a time where the internet is all you know, and that's the entire world that you live in. You already know that you live amongst billions of people from, you know, year one. And that is what this entire generation grew up with. So becoming very individual in your perspective and really figuring out things in your own way can really reflect in, you know, art and a medium as a whole, because we don't always get the individual perspective. We don't always get people that are literally trying to tell you a story about themselves all the time, specifically, especially in comics, especially in comics, because you're dealing with fictional worlds, you're dealing with characters that have survived hundreds of years, and not hundreds, but you know what I mean. (laughs) But um, I think now with this new generation, they're starting to really, really add their own perspective on things to everything. And I think that's a really important thing, especially if we're getting more diverse with those perspectives. So that will honestly open up a whole floodgate of people understanding one another. And that's what I want to promote, specifically, especially with Stoneheart, is that I want to promote different kinds of perspectives adding into the world. And I think that's really important. Yeah. Well, good job bringing that back to Stoneheart. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my brain made some really interesting leaps when I was, I was thinking of kind of what to compare this to. Um, the call to adventure was like reminiscent of when I was I was growing up, uh, just a, a Dungeons and Dragons campaign, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, which kind of <laughs> morphed into this weird blacksmithing crafting game. But maybe that's because I'm playing too many crafting games. <laughs> so what were some of your influences on the project? Um, well, at that time, I was really getting into manga. Um, manga was a huge, huge influence on this project, specifically the manga. I can't pronounce the Japanese title, but I can pronounce the English title, which is Yona of the Dawn, which is shoujo fantasy, um, young girl. Uh, she's basically, um, exiled from her castle and she realizes that she's a part of this entire legacy bringing you know legacy to unite all of the world all of the countries together again into one country um that being said at the same time my boyfriend and partner rusty glad he's my partner on inkblot mm-hmm. at that time he was reading wheel of time okay. and wheel of time 14 books the most epic fantasy like ever told you know one of those (laughs) um and so like hearing what he had to say about 
wheel of time while I was reading all of this manga really kind of culminated into like one fantasy type of world that I wanted to create. But I wanted it to be more geared towards me and who I am as a person. So like the whole fantasy world that I wanted to create was very much uh, um, driven by the female perspective. <laughs> sure. Well, you can definitely see the the manga influences visually from the, the way the mm -hmm. panels are constructed and the way the characters are rendered. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm, this is just me being curious. So as sort of an aspiring colorist myself, I'm always fascinated by process, you know, especially when somebody is is covering both the illustration and the coloring duties on a project. Yeah. <laughs> um, so instead of packing a bunch of panels together, there's room for the pages to breathe more, um, where the color is kind of providing more of the boundary. Do you tend to kind of internalize the first the look of, of the pieces, like I'll draw it first and then work out the coloring? Or are you actively kind of doing the layouts in your mind as you go along that include? Um, well, before I started this project, like even before I was pitching this project to Image, I was actually coming up with the entire look of it. So like whenever I come up with an idea, I always write it out first and I write out everything of it. Um, and I'll do like some sketches and stuff that kind of add some sort of visual, you know, element to it, but I really write everything out first. And then when I get to the drawing aspect, the drawing aspect, I always want everything ready before I can, before I even like let a publisher look at it. So even the process of going from like pencils to colors um was a process that I was like doing trial and error on before I even pitched it. So with the pencils, I I lay out like the entire uh issue that's in front of me. I have every issue written already, but I lay out all of the pages first. I print them out and then I pencil them. So I just go ahead, I pencil them. I do it traditionally too. So it, it's on a smaller piece of paper, but that allows me to do it quicker. Sure. Um, but then I will scan it back in. And with my coloring, I just have an entire palette that I already have planned out for everything. And that goes from the characters to the backgrounds to like specific times, like at night or at day. And um, I really wanted it to be focused way more on the characters than a lot of the background like I wanted the backgrounds to kind of serve as just a place for these characters to be in so the coloring for that kind of shifted and varied to how I wanted it to present so I guess whenever I would tackle each page coloring wise I would just think you know what does this scene call for is it a sadder scene is it an exciting scene is it like what kind of scene is this and then that's the kind of colors that i'll go with or what i want to pop out okay did you design the the logo for the book as well because it's it's pretty standout i love the celtic inspired scroll work yeah i i designed it like because i knew that i wanted this story to be very uh celtic inspired because um I am, I, I just did the 23andMe test too. <laughs> so uh, half of my family is Irish and English, and that's my mom's side. And then my dad's side is all Ashkenazi Jew. Oh, Jew. okay. 
So, um, so this story is kind of based off the aesthetic of the Celtic and Irish side of me. Mm-hmm. While I hope for a story in the future to be based off of more of like the Jewish side of me. Um, but yeah, I designed that, that logo because I just wanted it to have like an overall Celtic warrior kind of look to it. But then I was like, like to image, I was just like, can, can you help put this together a little more? (laughs) And it's just cause you know, like I'm not, I'm not a graphic designer. I'm more of just a comic book artist. So, um, wherever I need help, I always ask for it, you know? Yeah, you can't be well, afraid of that when you're by yourself. <laughs> no, I I can't even imagine how. Not, I don't want to sound scary, but it just seems daunting the the process. Um, it is when you think about it, but I don't think about it that often. <laughs> um, I would just be honest: is that like this is something that I've wanted to do for my entire life. I've wanted to draw and create stories for people to read for my entire life. So the fact that I'm able to do it, I try not to think of the fact that people are going to buy the product, but I think about the fact that I get to work on, you know, my literal dream job every time I get to draw. And that's, that's enough for me. I don't have to think about anything else. (laughs) Well, judging kind of on the the world building, um, and this is my frame of reference, right? Um, going back to the D and D thing. So, um, I always started my D and D campaigns drawing out the map first. So I really love the the reference map at the beginning. Yeah. Um, but how'd you kind of go about, uh, deciding how you wanted to, to populate the world? You know, like how did you know what you wanted to include without giving too much away? So the cool part about, um, the, the mystical land of Athea, um, mm-hmm. Uh, again, the name is very uh, female centric, so I really wanted to base it off of that. But I was really inspired by um, me and Rusty. We went on multiple road trips around the United States. And I was thinking, I was just like, is there a fantasy world that's based off of America? Like, is there like, is, is there? And again, not sure there probably is out there. But I was just kind of like, you know, I find the different parts of America so interesting. Like when you when I grew up in the Northeast, so that, you know, includes all four seasons. It has the Appalachian Mountains. It has basically forest forever. But then, you know, you go like a couple states into the middle and all you hit is corn. And then you go south Mm -hmm. and you hit the tropics and then you go all the way west where my parents live. And my my brother and sister-in-law live and it's like the desert. So I just thought that was a really, really interesting kind of landscape. And so I kind of pick and chose what I wanted and what I liked. And I basically created that into Athea. Um, But the other thing that I knew is that I knew that I wanted Shade Whisper to go through this entire world. I didn't want her to just stay in Light Spring Canyon. I wanted her to experience all different kinds of environments because that is part of the journey. So that is what kind of culminated into this map was me creating all these different uh, kingdoms and cities and landscapes so that my character has room to grow and room to 
explore and journey around. And yes, it's very D and D like. Yeah. Is so are most of the you referenced wanting it to kind of have a, a female centric kind of overlay, if you will. Is yeah. that why most of the the place names are starting with um, vowels? Oh, I, uh, I guess. I also was thinking about just I kind of wanted more of a cohesive kind of uh, naming, like n- name recognition. Sure, so, like yeah. with all of those five kingdoms, <laughs> it sounds so stupid when I say it out loud, but I named it because it all started with E and I was like, my name starts with E. So I'm going to make all of these (laughs) names start. That works. Sometimes I just like put that little, like, you know, key bit in there. And it's just cause it's fun for me, you know, like that's what I always do when I create. And that's what really makes creating so much fun is because like, there can be a huge reason for, you know, this character being the way that they are, the setting being the way that they are. But sometimes when I'm naming stuff, I'm just kind of like, ah, I just want to name it this because, you know, my name starts with this. <laughs> I would do exactly the same. <laughs> but I'd make it, try to make it difficult to pronounce the same way my name is since everybody gets it wrong. You know, I've been Bri- Brian my whole life. Uh, my mom is, was a, an English teacher, so I got named after the poet. And yeah. Uh, but um, that makes you an individual. <laughs> it does. It does. Um, was there, okay. So th- this is my landscape photographer brain. Um, I'm putting oh. on for a minute there. Was there anywhere specifically that you traveled that you like, okay, I need to put this in the book. Um, well, it was very specifically when me and Rusty were living in California and we were living there, um, prior to the pandemic when we both graduated from school and during the pandemic and during the pandemic, Rusty and I, we we got the opportunity to travel via camping. Like we didn't travel like going to hotels or anything like during the pandemic. It was like we kept our masks on all of that stuff. But we were like, this is kind of a great opportunity for us to go camping because it's very remote from other people. We don't have to go to a lot of other places. So the first place that we went to was the Grand Canyon. And that was like a huge light spring canyon to me like I was just like if there is a giant city inside this canyon that would be you know light spring canyon and that was the real start of you know me thinking about the landscape of everything (laughs) I love the Grand Canyon yeah me too I mean like all the national parks really inspired a lot of like the landscapes not just for this project but for Honestly, all of my projects, you know, like even Pandora, I use like the Northeast because it's supposed to be set um, in the Northeast. So I would just like look out my window and see, you know, what's going on out there and draw it on my page. Um, And, you know, for Stoneheart in general, like just going off of all of the different places that I've seen from the Grand Canyon to, uh, I don't know, like Utah. Closer to Northern California, we went to, um, we went through Colorado, we went up north to like the Dakotas, um, all, all sorts of places that really gave us some magnificent, beautiful landscapes that are just, you know, you can't just, if you're an artist and you're looking at that, you can't not take in the beauty and record it. <laughs> you oh, know? Yeah. yeah. As a photographer, <laughs> I get that a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I was reading that before you went to and graduated from the Cuber School, you were studying at SCAD um, and animation for a couple of years. Did yes. that change the way you thought about drawing and constructing comics? Yes, 100%. Um, and it was mostly just because I grew up, um, like I grew up basically at the town over from the Cubert School. I, I basically grew up at the Cubert School because my mom was the one to start the Cubert Art Store. So, she, you know, she would bring us kids there and we would run around and all that good stuff. Um, but when I was growing up, I, I loved art and I loved creating stories, but creating comics did not seem like my thing. And it was mostly because I didn't see any stories that really related to me at that time, specifically like, and I bet there were like, I'm not going to lie, I bet there were, but there wasn't really in Western comics. All I would see, you know, from my dad, I would see him work on Batman. I would see, you know, even like seeing Wonder Woman or characters like the female characters, superheroes, they really didn't relate to me in any way because I was you know a young uh chubby preteen that liked to stay inside so (laughs) so I just really you know none of that really appealed to me but what did appeal to me ever since I was young was animated tv shows and animated movies and it was because of how universal their messages and their stories were like Everyone on this planet has seen Toy Story and they've seen Toy Story 1, 2, and 3, and 4. And it's because, and it's just about toys, but it's such a universal story and a universal message for everyone. And that's what really caught me to animation was that you can create something that's universal for everyone to enjoy. Um, So when I went into animation at SCAD, I was, I, I didn't like the animating part because <laughs> it was super boring. Um, but I did want to, that sparked me wanting to go into like the pre-production part, like the storyboarding, the concept art, the character design, background design. And when I was at SCAD, I kind of realized that the schedule that the college had just didn't work for the kind of uh, work ethic that I needed. Um, for me at the time, I needed to be more disciplined at that point, And I needed like an outside source to discipline me more okay. <laughs> than just like the, the schedule that SCAD had. So that was when I decided to leave and go back to the Kubert school, um, and go to school there. But even then I was just like, I'm just going to storyboard. I'm just gonna, you know, draw and anim- like not animate, but try to get to where I wanted to be before. But then as I was going through school, they really encouraged your creator own ideas and your creator own projects. And this was the first time that I was like visiting stories that I thought of when I was like a little kid. And I was just kind of like, mm, this might be for me. <laughs> Comics might be my thing. <laughs> and it might always have been. And I just never wanted to give it a chance. <laughs> Sometimes, was, though, you have to find your way to your destiny rather than just I agree. Ex- go with it. Yeah, I agree. And I also think that without all of the experiences that I've had, I wouldn't have the stories, the style, the anything that I have today. So still very thankful for it. But, you know, sometimes you think back and you're like, I could have started sooner. 
<laughs> and then you just kind of move on. <laughs> well, I can speak from experience having done, I don't even know how many careers already in my life that, you know, you, you'll find yourself in odd places, but if you embrace it, you'll at least enjoy it. Exactly. And I think that is really where it comes down to is that I started to draw comics and I realized that I think creating my own comics was really, really the thing that I found is my favorite thing. <laughs> well, kind of on that, that note, what keeps you motivated? Uh, what keeps me motivated? Well, I guess you're so prolific. Like you, you have a lot of things going on right now. Wow. Um, okay, that's yeah. really fun. <laughs> um, what keeps me motivated? Honestly, it it's what I told you before. Um, it's really the fact that I get to do what I've always wanted to do for my entire life. Every day now, I. I honestly have the best life. Like I really, really do. I have a family that really supports me in anything that I do. I have a partner that loves me and supports me in anything I do. And I absolutely love to draw and I've never not loved to draw. I've never, it was always one of my favorite things to do all day, every day. Like when I was younger, I'm pretty sure that my mom signed me up for sports so, to get me out of the house <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and to get yeah. me moving. And it's because all I wanted to do was be in my room and draw. And that's all I did. And that's all I do. And that's all I will do. And uh, the only other, I mean, like, I'm sure a lot of artists are really like that. But the person that was really like that in my, in my uh, life was my grandpa. And I found that absolutely inspirational that he was able to just do what he loved every day and be successful at it and work hard at it. Like it wasn't easy. He worked really hard for everything that he's done in his life, but it was just, it was, it's inspirational to see someone do what they love. Like it is. And it, the fact that I have, you know, one two generations before me that did that is absolutely astounding. So for me, like right now, I'm just, I'm just so excited to be here. <laughs> and that's, that's about it. I'm just so excited and so grateful that I have this kind of life and these opportunities to do what I love to do. And that is what keeps me motivated. Um, also, the fact that I get really invested in stories, too, you know, like those people that get really excited about their characters. Like if I'm drawing Shade Whisper, getting really excited, you, I have this face on me that's really excited, too. So I think that's a, another part of it as well, is that I get really invested in the things that I do create. And I think that also helps me keep going. So you aren't just a grad of the Cuber School, you're also a teacher as well, right? Yeah, I teach there. <laughs> so what's it like to to teach the next generation and what are you able to absorb from from them that helps you and push you as an artist? Um, well, again, I think it comes down to understanding how the new generation works. Like I I am basically like 
me personally, I am on the tail end of being a millennial. Like I'm born in 1994. So I have the cutoff kind of date of Gen Z and millennial right there. Um, so that kind of helps me see what differences are in this younger generation versus older generation. Mm-hmm. And it comes back to the individual quality. Like we have so many stories out there. We have so much entertainment out there, whether it's, you know, TV or comics or books or whatever. So what I really try to push is the individual aspect. I mean, I teach basic drawing. So, I mean, I do have to be like, you got to get your perspective right. But I also want to make sure that they know that you can succeed in any style, in any genre, in anything that you want to do, as long as you are adding your own perspective to it and your own individuality to it. Because you know, you can compare styles and you can compare, you know, skill levels and everything. But if you're adding yourself into it, no one else can take it away from you because it's just you. You are the only person who can provide that perspective. So it's, it's so individual that that is something I think everyone now needs to push for. Well, what else can people expect from you in 2023? We've got Stoneheart. Um, you've got Inkblot rolling along uh, with Rusty. You have Frank Miller presents Pandora. And I, th- I think Brushstrokes is at this point done, right? Brushstroke is done. And Inkblot, we are on a hiatus right now. Um, so we're just taking time off from that. Uh, I'm finishing up Radiant Pink, uh, the mini series. So that should come out um, next month and the month after. It's a five issue mini series. And I have Pandora on the map. And I'm really hoping that, you know, we, uh, I keep creating more stories for, for everyone. Um, yeah. <laughs> is, is Brushstrokes collected anywhere? I don't think so, but it is available on Tapas. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's free at this point, so anyone can read it and enjoy it at this point. Yeah, I'll make sure to put a link in the show notes for it so people can (laughs) check it out. Well, I've been following your February series of comic book romances on Twitter. Um, Colossus and Kitty, I think, are great. That's my favorite. So was that, that a drawing prompt, or where did that come from? I made it up and it was mostly like, honestly, I think I have a lot of different avenues uh, and I think a lot of people are wondering how I can do all of this stuff. And one, it's timing. It definitely is timing. You know, I think people, um, fans and stuff and people like that find out this stuff, you know, months later, even years later of a project. Um, But with, with my social media, that is really where my fun drawing comes in. Cause I'm a, I'm a person who always needs to leave room for, for fun. (laughs) I need to have a drawing that I'm just doing for fun or I'm just doing it to basically grow and become better and figure out how to like better my skills and that's what I use my social media for like of course I put out my comics and stuff on there too but 
a lot of it really comes down to me just trying to get better through singular drawings. Because when you do an entire comic, it has a set look, it has a set feel. And sometimes when you're doing, you know, 20 pages at a time, you have to just get it done. Sometimes you can't just sit there and teach yourself and have yourself grow throughout of it, throughout it. So with my social media, I really use that as an opportunity for me to like grow as an artist and really push myself in ways that I haven't before. And so with this kind of, you know, 14 days of romance, technically it's 13 because I skipped yesterday. Um, <laughs> we, we won't tell anybody. Oh, don't tell anyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was it was really just for me to get out of this kind of funk that I felt like I was in. And I felt like I was kind of doing the same thing over and over again. So I really wanted to take like just a prompt or just like a set number of days to really just hone into some skills that I really, really wanted to push. And for this, it was really the coloring aspect for me and just the overall character drawing and design that I was really pushing for. But I did it of romances because I absolutely love drawing romance. I love romantic stories. I love romantic characters. I think they're so fun and exciting. And so that was really something that I wanted to push throughout these quote unquote 14 days, 13 days. Um, and since it was Valentine's Day, I was like, ah, this is perfect timing. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do it and I'm gonna push it. And I think it'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> well, there's definitely synchronicity to the timing. If you were going to do romance characters around Valentine's Day, it makes sense. So. That's what I thought. <laughs> So where can people find you online? Where where do you prefer people find you online to kind of follow your stuff? Um, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and I'm on TikTok. So that's oh. fun. <laughs> um, and I'm just under Emma Kubert. So at Emma Kubert, you can find me that way. And um, I'm also on Facebook, but I don't really go on there as often anymore. Um, but you can find me on there and that's where I post all of my stuff and all of the things that I like to do. <laughs> well, my last question is about the hustle of being a creative. So this is something I'm now doing with every show and is a kind of a nugget of wisdom from your own experiences that we can pass on to the listeners. Maybe it's somebody who's trying to make it in the comics field or somebody who's younger who is thinking about a career in comics. So what do you have for them? Rejection is inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's really the main thing that a lot of especially younger people that are getting into comics I don't think a lot of people are ready for this kind of rejection because it's pages that you're pouring your heart and soul into and then you have a person that's taking one glance at them and being like no this isn't for us and in those moments, those are the moments where you have to decide, okay, am I going to listen to this person who only looked at my pages for like two minutes deciding that it wasn't for them? Or am I going to find, you know, hundreds of others of people in this industry that might say yes? What am I going to do? And that's really the moments where you have to be like, okay, there's 
more fish out in the sea. There's other avenues for me to go down. Or I can keep going down this avenue too. I can keep coming back to these people that reject me and eventually get a yes. And it's just that kind of relentlessness that you need in order to kind of break into the industry. Um, Rejection is inevitable and relentlessness is what's going to get you your career, I think. (laughs) And that's, that's kind of what I, what I abide by too. Um, And it's really just because a lot of people ask me this as well is that they're like, Oh, so you're, you're a Cuber. That means that, you know, like you get these jobs because you're a Cuber. And I'm just like, yes. And no, not really. (laughs) It's more about them noticing me first and seeing if my art is right for it. And that can go the same way for any, any student who attends the Cubert school, any students who, you know, learn online, any students who learn anywhere, just getting them to notice you is the first step. And then the steps after that is relentlessness and that is rejection, relentlessness and keeping going. <laughs> well, uh, to bring it back to Stoneheart, um, I, I really, really loved it. Um, my pitch oh, yeah. is it provided a nice modern facelift to the, the classic comics genre that we're, you know, the fantasy genre we're all accustomed to. Um, last time I checked, it was hitting stores March 8th. Is that about right? Mm-hmm. And today okay. is the FOC, the final cutoff date <laughs> or ordering. So if you want your issues, make sure to let your local comic shop know. <laughs> yes, before they sell out, because they are selling out of quite a bit of stuff lately. Oh, really? Awesome. Yeah. Like there was an interview that I did and I was like, oh, I hadn't actually pre-ordered that. So I'm going to just go pick it up in my, you know, my local shop and it was gone. Oh man. I know that. I know that's what they said about, uh, the first issue of Pandora is that a lot, like it was ordered and then so many people went to comic book shops and they just didn't have it. And it's because it just sold out. And I was yep. like, well, I hope this happens with <laughs> <laughs> Well, We'll do our best to make that happen. Um, everybody, make sure to call your shop, get your order in, um, pick up the, the great new fantasy adventure series, Stoneheart. Um, just do me a favor, Emma, and don't kill off Coco. Oh, I can't. You can't. Yeah. I can't. Call. It's, Coco is so precious. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot do that. <laughs> Good. And if anybody's like, who in the world is Coco? Well, you got to go read it to find well, you gotta out. You got to read it. <laughs> exactly. Well, Emma, thanks for hanging out with me today. I really appreciate you being on the show. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. <laughs> well, this is Byron O'Neill on behalf of all of us at Comic Book Yeti. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptid Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, 
two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg, but their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one. All you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the Department of Metahuman Affairs or DMA and check it out right now. 